I come from Coriander, curry leaves, lemongrass and chili. I come from thick pigeon, dudu and laughing dove. I come from stovefish, snapper and honeycomb grouper. I come from ladyfingers, bitter gourd, okra and ginger. I come from mango, lychee and guava. Welcome to the Known in Your Bones podcast, an arts and heritage project that shines a light on the sunshine vitamin D. For the last two years, we've been exploring its all-powerful influence on and in all of our lives. Today's episode explores food. Food plays a vital role in the journey of vitamin D. Vitamin D, which is found in dairy products, leafy green vegetables and sardines, acts as a vehicle for calcium, taking it to where it needs to be in the body. Whether you are living in a warm climate or a grey cloudy city in the UK, without the right nutrition, you may be affected by vitamin D deficiency. The work of Dr Cecily Williams during her time in Malaysia in the mid-20th century identified how the use of condensed milk instead of breast milk led to infants developing rickets. She campaigned heavily against the use of milk substitutes. Vitamin D is also referred to as a sunshine vitamin because of how it's produced in the body by the contact of UV rays onto our skin. But it can also be found in certain foods, such as oily fish, egg yolks, and red meat. And most recently, foods that have been fortified with vitamin D. Before vitamin D and its role in the body was identified, and the advent of traditional medicine, women created home remedies and herbal medicines to treat ailments of vitamin D deficiency, passing on these recipes from one generation to the next. Research further developed our understanding, leading to the use of cod liver oil and the use of supplements that we know of today. The story of our foods we consume to nourish and heal our bodies reveals an understanding of the environment and its relationship to the sun. Our research has revealed that the ability to access healthy foods or the right kind of food is not always a simple one. Do you know, coming from a place like Jamaica, we have so many nice dishes like ackee and saltfish, which is the national dish of the country. We have rice and peas, which is mainly a Sunday dish. When I was in Jamaica, rice and peas was only eaten on a Sunday. Like you know, in England, they have their roast beef and Yorkshire pudding, which is a Sunday dish. So rice and peas is mainly a Sunday dish, but now, of course, it's eaten on any day of the week, especially being in the UK. I quite like curried meat and rice. I like my rice and peas with chicken or fish or whatever. I mean to choose which one I eat for life. I think I would like to probably eat fried fish and rice and peas for life. Because nowadays, I don't like meat too much. I don't know why, but I've gone off meat a bit. I don't eat pork, but I tend to eat chicken and lamb mainly. And recently, I seem to be eating more fish. So that's why I have chosen fish. And I quite like rice and peas. I don't think I would ever get tired of rice and peas. In the previous podcast, we explored how migration impacts your vitamin D levels and your likelihood of developing a deficiency. The role of vitamin D is as a carrier of calcium, which enables the delivery of this vital mineral needed for bone development and other important biological processes throughout the body. This was also highlighted in the Vitamin Song, which was published in the Punch Drunk magazine, a satirical paper which incorrectly identified vitamin A with rickets. The sun goes, But courage in cod liver oil, the healthy little creatures toil, and any backward child of mine who showed a softness in the spine should frequently be fed on that 
with good hard rows and bits of fat, fresh butter, cheese and yolk of egg will fortify the infant leg. For here again are found, they say, those vitamins we christen A keep the rickets away and scowls the meagre and nervy. Without the right nutrition, you can also display the symptoms of deficiency. We came across the work of Dr. Cecily Williams at the Wellcome Collection. Williams was a pioneer in the study of deficiencies, diseases around the world, being credited with the discovery of classification Quashicor in 1935. Her work on vitamin deficiency is largely focused in Singapore and Malaya, or now known as Malaysia, where conditions such as rickets and beriberi were especially prevalent. Partly due to dietary factors, Williams campaigned heavily against the use of milk substitutes after her work in Africa and Southeast Asia. And in 1939, she delivered a speech to the Singapore Rotary Club addressing her concerns and anger, called Milk and Murder, in which she said, If you legal purists, you may wish me to change the title of this address to Milk and Manslaughter, but if your lives were embittered as mine is by seeing the day after day this massacre of the innocents by unsuitable feeding, you would feel as I do that misguided propaganda on infant feeding to be punished at the most criminal form of sedition should be regarded as murder. It caused such controversy, it was not printed anywhere until almost 40 years later, in 1977, when it was heralded as the first salvo in the Battle of Breast Fees Bottle. She recognised that early infant nutrition that relied on breastfeeding was predicated on the mother's well-being. She said, We find that overwork and unsuitable food will have an adverse effect on the ability of the mother to produce milk. Often mothers have stopped breastfeeding their babies for some weeks because they have no milk, and a good diet will in many cases still the powers of lactation to the mother and help to the child. It's not just the availability of food, but your socio-economic status and attitudes which often saw poorer women breastfeeding for longer compared to wealthier mothers. Fast forward to the present day, what role does food play in our lives of vitamin D? We have established the role of sun exposure and eating certain foods can help elevate those levels, but how effective is this? We spoke with Adrian Martineau, a clinical professor of respiratory infection and immunity at Queen Mary University in London. His research interests look at the role of vitamin D in respiratory health. We explored the systemic state of vitamin D deficiency in the population, as he described as subclinical, and research that is exploring the amelioration of this deficiency with supplementation. But how easy is it to take a pill every day? Studies have shown that this is challenging for the general public and that food fortification could be an alternative to address this issue. Fortified foods are not uncommon. Margarine sold for domestic use was fortified from 1940 to 2013 as a mandatory requirement as a response to World War II. Although voluntary now in the UK, we have vitamin D added to our cereals, non-dairy milk and baby milk. The supplementing of food is far more common in the United States and Canada, where it is mandatory with certain foods such as flour, bread, orange juice, margarine and milk. Your nutrition plays a vital role, access to good nutritious food and supplements. So how connected are we to what we eat, with more people farming, learning to grow their own food and the impact of climate change that has made us more aware of scarce food? And with Brexit, can we even get what we need? In the recent study titled Test Me and Treat Me, Attitudes of Vitamin D Deficiency and Supplementation, a qualitative study at the British Medical Journal. One of the discussions in the article was the idea of universal food fortification. It brought out strong views. Most held negative views and regarded the case of fortification as not made. These are some of the views of those involved in the study. And there is some evidence suggesting that excessively large increases in the amount of vitamin D can be harmful. 
And I do think that if you were to start such a thing in the nature of the government starting programs of this kind, you'd be using a very hard hammer to crack a small nut and applying something to everyone where it may not be necessary for everyone and where there might be rather other alternatives in terms of identifying and educating those who might be at risk. There were murmurs of agreement. We could be having a whole battery of measures being applied by the government to tell us what to do. Another said, well, I mean, on the assumption that through normal food consumption, you can't OD on it. I think it's a sort of fluoride argument again, isn't it, about medication? You know, I understand the reservations about that, but on the balance, I'd support it, as I do the fluoriding, fluoridation, on the basis of the generality of benefit outweighs the, if you like, libertarian concern. Would you be happy to have your food fortified, or would you prefer to choose the responsibility of maintaining your vitamin D levels? What we eat and how it's made is important. And it's not just about what food does for our bodies. It's deeper than that. It can be spiritual, connected deeply to history and who we are. I come from meat, coriander, rosemary, thyme, curry leaves, chive, basil, fennel, lemongrass and chilli. I come from pig pigeon, dodo, cell duck, laughing dog, sweetie thyme, sweet Flamingo, Robin, Parakeet, Paradise, Flycatchers, Stalin, Mauritian, Odu. I come from salt, fish, mackerel, sardine, tuna, snapper, honeycomb, grouper. I come from ladyfingers, cauliflower, green beans, beetroot, aubergine, radish, bitter goat, okra, pumpkin, spinach, watercress, ginger. I come from mango, lychee, Longan, jackfruit, pomegranate, guava, papaya, pineapple, coconut, rock. Known in Your Bones is an all-change production in partnership with London Metropolitan Archives, supported by a National Lottery Heritage Fund. <laughs>